Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining. I'm Tom, your host. This is the Progressive Mind Center podcast with my good friend, colleague, uh, mentor, Michael Schreiber here to riff back and forth. I like that word. I'm going to use that more often. Um, tonight, we're going to be uh, just discussing codependency. And this is really sort of an offshoot from previous podcasts where we started talking about boundaries. Um, and so our topic is about codependency, uh, uh, maybe uh, specifically about boundaries, but we're going to expand on that and kind of talk about our own situations and experience that we've had with our clients. So um, yeah, Michael, thanks again for being here, brother. Yeah, it's nice to be back again, as always. And um I think it's an important topic to talk about because I think if, you know, we think about all the issues that clients bring to therapy, I think we can kind of boil it down to some codependency issues, especially if we're talking about relationships and any relationship really doesn't necessarily have to be an in intimate relationship or a marriage or a partnership. Um, so I think it's important to, to talk about it, particularly if we're talking about um, interpersonal issues. And so, you know, cause I was, I was thinking about the topic tonight and I was kind of thinking like, what, what is the definition of codependency? And I think it's, it can be a little difficult to really kind of synthesize down and boil it down to uh, a real definition. Um, because it's, because it's kind of messy. I think it's a messy codependency is messy. It's very messy. Yeah. And I know uh, a definition I've kind of glommed onto and uh, you have to really explain what this means. Um, and there are many descriptions of it, but sort of sacrifice in order to control um, kind of sums it up for me. And as it relates to my own issues with uh, codependency over the years. Now, of course, there's some negative connotations that come with that. So I always feel like when I share that with, uh, with clients, I have to really, you know, dive deep into exactly what that means. And uh, there are some negatives uh, attached to that and some unhealthy behaviors, but um, it goes a lot deeper than um, feeling like you just need to control other people. I mean, th there's a, there's a, a pathological and a learned um, uh, behavior uh, that comes out of it. And this is why you're, you're, doing it and it's it's for a reason based on your um uh when you were growing up how you chose to or you've learned to interact with the world around you and with your parents or with you know um uh peers or whatnot um but but anyway i uh, i'm sure that you have stuff to uh, to add to that and i'm curious as to sort of what you surmise as your you know definition of it yeah i think that's a good definition of it um you know I, I would say just as kind of a very broad general definition is to need somebody else to meet your emotional needs i think that's how i see it and but that's just so general and we can you know kind of even break it down into sub definitions like yours which i think was good and you know oftentimes we think i think we think of codependency as a phenomenon that exists in a marriage or um, in a partnership, like I said, but I, you know, codependency can really take hold in just about any relationship, I think. 
Absolutely. And I know it's, it's been mostly used uh, or historically used uh, in conjunction with spouses who had, um, who were married to alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And abuse, spousal abuse and domestic violence. Yeah. And I think that those are very, that, that those are definitely codependent relationships. Um, but I think codependency can also take more subtle forms. Um, you know, we can talk about those, but you know, when I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking about my own issues with codependency and my own relationships. And, um, I've, I've thought about that over the years and I've thought about how that developed and thinking about the relationships that I saw growing up. Um, I saw some dysfunctional relationships. I was raised by some dysfunctional people who were raised by some dysfunctional people. And so the codependency gene kind of cascades down. Um, and so naturally some of that would, you know, rub off on offspring and it rubbed off on me. And it's definitely, I've seen it manifest itself in my own relationships in various ways. You know, in the, in the 12 steps, oftentimes they talk about people pleasing. And I would say that is definitely a form of codependency. You know, I need to please, I mean, I need to make sure that those around me are satisfied before I am satisfied and the needs of others need to come before mine and everybody needs to be okay before I'm in order for me to be okay. I think that would probably be a hallmark symptom of codependency. Absolutely. Yeah. Even better way to further describe what it is. And I I think talking about some characteristics is helpful. And that's one of the biggest characteristics and something I've noticed about myself is, is wanting other people, everybody around me uh, to be happy and not feeling content until that happens Um, to, to the point where, the codependent person ends up sacrificing their own health, wellness, um, uh, in, in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I, you know, the codependent person is probably, um, happy temporarily when everybody else is happy, but ultimately they sacrifice something. And oftentimes that is probably what keeps them in, in that dance, the, the back and forth in codependent relationships. Um, and it's incredibly destructive to relationships. And it tends to, I think, keep people in bad relationships because there is something that is so compelling about the pattern that keeps people there, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, very destructive and sad and pointless. And yet, you know, I, I've gone through it in relationships where it ain't so good. And yet it's tough to break away from that. It's, it's tough to extract yourself to, to exit that relationship. And I think it has a lot to do with the model of relationships that we saw growing up. I know for me, my parents were uh, got divorced and um, there were some other 
relationships that my mother was in that were not healthy. And I was uh, an, an observer to those relationships. And I pick up some bad habits. And when I think about it, it makes total sense that my mom would have found herself in these relationships. Um, because I observed her parents, my grandparents, and I saw growing up what their relationship was like, which was very contentious and very tension filled and very angry and hostile and resentful. And I grew up thinking that this is what relationships were like. And so naturally, you know, I would, that would permeate my understanding of intimate relationships. And of course I would go on to bring that into all the other relationships that I would be in over time. And in, in my own therapy, I've worked through some of those issues and guess what? They still come up in many relationships in my life. And so I'm probably gonna be working on those forever. And that, that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Well, I know that the uh, the codependent person um, needs to have another person uh, in order to feel valuable, in order to feel valid, in order to feel good. And when they don't have that, there's this emptiness that coincides with that. So the need to feel valuable and valid uh, and to have a purpose um, is the very reason why um, codependents stay in these abusive, um, detrimental, horrible relationships because it's more important for me to take care of the other person, for me to be the one um, uh, seemingly uh, making sure uh, the other person is okay and that that in turn makes uh, the codependent person or, you know, uh, makes myself because I've been in these uh, kind of relationships before where I've been codependent and uh, just makes you feel like um, uh, if I were not there, this person would just fall off the cliff or <laughs> go to complete abandon. And that makes me feel good about myself. It's fleeting though, because it really the goal um is for you to break out of that cycle and to build some intrinsic value within yourself that you feel good about your decisions, that you're happy about um, honoring your own feelings, that you have the insight to know what it is that you desire and what you want instead of, you know, well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Yeah. Are, are you happy? Do you feel good? I don't know. Do you feel good? you you're happy? Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy there. Right. You know, um, it, you start the codependent starts to really define themselves by the status emotionally, mentally, physically of the other person that they're in the relationship with. Um, and it doesn't have to be a significant other relationship. It happens with between colleagues. It happens between peers, between friends, uh, you know, um, even family members, uh, you can be have a codependent relationship with them too. Um, so it's something that can be on a very large scale or on a very small scale, which is what you were referring to uh, earlier. So uh, there's a, 
a book that I want to um, mention, and there's been several books, um, and even this author has written other books too, updated versions. But the the one that I uh, recommend that has some really good uh, tips, especially uh, in regards to boundary setting, is uh, um, and you've heard of this. It's called Codependent No More, and uh, it's it's a book that's been out there for uh, a little while, and I find myself buying several copies of it, and I give it out to. Cause it's, you know, a couple bucks you can get it on Amazon, Melody Beatty, uh, codependent no more. And I, I just give these out and say, okay, I, this is your homework. I want you to read the, you know, chapter one and just start working on it. And usually it doesn't have to go past, okay, your homework is read chapter two. It's usually, oh my God, I started reading this and I didn't think I was codependent. I don't know if I'm codependent, but this book makes a lot of sense. I'm seeing a lot of similarities and I'm starting to work on those things. So plug for that book. It, it, that's something that I highly recommend. And like I said, I've, I've given that cop, I bought that copy a zillion times and have for over the years, uh, probably over the past 17 years, I've just been giving it away and I had used it myself. Uh, it was tremendous. Yeah. I, I have that book also. Maybe one day I'll read it. <laughs> um, maybe I'm avoiding it for some some reason, um, but you know, you you brought up something that I think is important to talk about in codependency, and that is that the phenomenon of I need to I I define myself through the other the other person how happy the other person is, if I'm satisfying the other person, if the other person is okay, and if they are, then I'm okay, and if they're not okay, then I'm not okay. And I'm reminded of some interventionists who I've heard, um, addiction interventionists, who talk about this and why, why codependency is so closely associated with addiction and substance abuse, and it is, exactly that. It is that when the addict is doing poorly, I'm doing poorly. And when the addict is doing better, I'm doing better. When the addict is, you know, smoking crack and shooting dope, then I'm, I'm in a depressed state. But then when the addict is doing better and they're going to meetings and they're clean and then I feel better. And so in a way, you know, the addict's drug of choice is whatever it is, crack or heroin or cocaine. And my drug of choice is the addict. And I think that's yeah. so perfectly illustrates the codependent relationship and why it's so, so, it's so difficult to gain insight into the codependency also, because it's, it's so deeply woven into the fabric of relationships. And we are a relationship oriented organism. We're social animals, I mean, you know? Yeah. Um, that was um, well, Adler. Some Adler. Thing. You know, and we, we are, um, we're, we're emotional too. We're a very emotional species also. Um, and so the idea, if you're thinking about addiction and you're thinking about the friends and family of the addict is that I need to be okay, even if the addict is not okay. And that's, I think that's a concept for a lot of people that struggle with codependency that is 
completely alien to them. And it's almost an impossibility. I mean, and, and when you think about it, that's understandable. When you really care about somebody and love somebody and empathize with somebody and they're not okay, how could you be okay? How could you be okay? Exactly, right. But it's possible. I mean, and I think it's important for you to at least think about in your life, in, in, in how you're interacting with the world around you. Maybe it's in your career or maybe it's, you know, how you're performing at work uh, you're, or at school or, you know, what have you. How, how are you doing? Are you really okay? Aside from the person that you love and care about not doing well, you can do everything you can to support them. Um, but look at your own life and your own decision making and, and, and take, take the relationship out of it because, and I, I don't recall if I've talked about this before, but when I work with couples, um, I go into like the first session talking about how there's a, a you and a me, and then there's a we or an us. And each part of those, all three parts have to have uh, equal amounts of time and energy spent um, on them. So when it comes to you, you know, you need to make sure that you have your own autonomy in the relationship, that you engage in your own self-care practices, that you make decisions regarding things that you want to go, that you have your own drives and aspirations and you still feel like you can, you know, um, be on the trajectory for being the best version of yourself. And then your partner does the same thing. Then we can come together and have the us component. And that in itself is a living, breathing organism that needs love and attention and uh, mutual respect, time and energy. And uh, you need to make sure that you focus uh, equal parts or equal attention to all three of those things. I see in especially the codependent relationship where everything is dumped on, uh, the codependent person dumps everything on the other person and on uh, the relationship itself where they neglect everything about themselves they sacrifice everything about themselves so that the other person can have everything that they need and so that the relationship relationship can thrive. But with the one thing neglected, the, the codependent person neglecting their own stuff, the, the relationship cannot thrive because all three of those pieces have to have that equal balance. Right. Right. I, you know, I'm reminded of uh, the movie, the fly with Jeff Goldblum. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Oh yeah, for sure. I figured you were. If you remember at the end, you know, he transformed into the fly creature and he wanted to merge his body with Gina Davis's body because Gina Davis was pregnant. And so he wanted to be completely merged. And, and I remember a line in the movie when he was trying to convince her that this is a great idea. You know, we will actually be, we'll be the perfect family will be merged forever, you, me, and the baby. Right. And, you know, that is a certain intimacy that maybe cannot be achieved. And maybe, maybe that's, that's a good thing. It's, there's a, it's good, it's healthy to be separate, but together. Yeah. At the same time. And I think mm -hmm. that's where, where it can get very tricky because, you know, especially if you really love and care about somebody and you're, you're with them all the time, it can be confusing and tricky to figure out, well, how 
close are we? How close should we be? What feels healthy? What feels comfortable for me versus what feels comfortable for the other person? And I guess you have to find the right partner and figure that out. Right. How to delineate where, where I stop and you begin and where our relationship resides and, um, and having clear boundaries as to this is how much uh, I, I can put into uh, the relationship before I become empty or depleted or just a shell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's where a lot of couples um, have trouble and where they struggle with how close do I want to be? How close, you know, do I want to be with my partner and vice versa? And, you know, how do we come to some sort of comfortable arrangement? Um, you know, if my partner wants to be closer to me than I want to be to them. What do we, you know, what do we do about that? Um, do I just have problems with intimacy? Is it, is it me? Is it them? What, you know, what's going on here? How do we figure this out? Mm-hmm. And I think it could be, kind of tricky to do that. And, you know, it's helpful to have a therapist guide you through that process. Yeah. I, you know, I think it can be very troublesome for a lot of couples. It can be very troublesome for uh, folks with borderline personality disorder also. I think that's why you find so many folks with borderline um, in codependent relationships because people with borderline have difficulty with boundaries, right? Difficulty, difficulty with their own ego developing a strong sense of self. And if you don't have a strong sense of self, you're, you're going to be needy. You're going to, you're going to need Mm -hmm. validation and and a lot of it, and a lot, a lot of validation. And that's oftentimes very draining for a partner. Right. And off putting like, I I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I mean, I think that's probably why if you say, you know, borderline personality disorder to therapists, clinicians, physicians, um, they're sort of a, you know, out of the earshot or view of the a person uh, who potentially has that, they're sort of a cringing, you know, mm, yeah. sort of feeling. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, I don't necessarily view, I mean, my our gut sort of goes to that um, but we, we sort of as therapists have to fight against that and, and be like, this is, this is a person who's uh, suffering uh, from this, whatever it, it happened. And uh, of course, however it's manifesting, whatever we can do to try to help them and encourage them and empower them, not, not just borderlines, but just people who are codependent, you know, but how do you pull back your own personal power? How do you regulate your emotions? How do you um, not, make things explode or feel the need to have chaos around you so that things actually change or so that you get your needs met. Mm -hmm. You know, I think what's so attractive about codependent relationships is that it feels very intense. There's a certain intensity to it and a certain intimacy and it feels very passionate. And I think that is also what, gets people attached um, and maybe the, those are folks that have, tr- have have had trouble in with intimacy um, and maybe they, they they get something out of that there's something that's exhilarating about that it's very intense and then it breaks 
it just it, you know it, it comes you you come together and then break apart and come together and break apart and there's an, an intensity there that is uh intoxicating it can be very intoxicating you know i'm, I'm thinking of the movie fatal attraction mm-hmm. <laughs> how intoxicating um that relationship was to the the uh the michael douglas character and uh why he found himself with Glenn Close, Glenn Close's character, because there was something that was very intensive about that. She really needed him. I mean, she was, it's, it could be nice to be needed. It might, it might, it, it really might be an ego boost to feel so needed. It is. It's very desirable to feel needed, to feel wanted, desired, to feel like you're helping and uh, it, it does boost the ego and make you feel good. I, I think this, th- therein lies the problem because in and of itself, being needed and wanted and helping is perfectly okay. I think that's great. Um, but where it infringes on your ability to uh, uh, separate or delineate from uh, my ability to you know, still take care of me and when I don't have that other person or relationship that I can feel valuable and feel productive. And, um, I I don't need to have that, uh, in my life, um, to such an extreme. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Codependent relationships are very tricky. It's, it can be very difficult navigating couples through codependency. And I, I admire the fact that you work with couples. I don't, I don't work with couples anymore. I realized after working with some couples that I, I don't think that I was, that I'm cut out for that because I think it's, it's intensive work. And I really admire couple counselors who like doing it, who are good at doing it and who are effective. And um, I, I appreciate that. I don't think I'm cut out for that. No. it's very intense because i mean you're you're dealing with like i said if, if we're talking about the you me and the us uh, those are three separate um entities three separate characteristics three separate things that you have to work with so when we're in the session i mean i'm trying to uh manage and it's like a it's a group session where you're trying to negotiate and manage and find within the time period of an hour, of course, you know, uh, exactly where we need to go. And they may be on different planes uh, at the time and want to work on different things. And usually they're sort of a a spouse that has almost feels like they're dragged there. Like, you know, (laughs) I really don't want to be here. I'm really not sure what we need to work on, but I'm kind of here to make the other one happy and feel like we're you know, improving something. Uh, um, but so it, it can be very uh, challenging and draining uh, for the therapist. Uh, so I, I understand where you're coming from. And um, it is, uh, or it can, it can be uh, intense work, but I, I really enjoy doing, doing that. And after I've worked with the couple for uh, a few sessions, uh, uh, couples that I feel would benefit. I mean, I do recommend that they see their own private therapists, uh, different ones for each. Um, but if I've been working with a couple for a while and uh, they understand that I'm not on any side, then I'll do some specific work 
um, uh, with them because they already have a rapport with me. I already know their story. Um, and especially in codependent relationships where I can help uh, the codependent start to form some solid boundaries and really identify who they are and where they want to go and then incorporate those um, those new boundaries and that new sense of self into the relationship. Um, the, the problem is, is that, you know, um, sometimes uh, couples and families too become so comfortable with the dysfunction that once uh, another member or an ad- identified um, family member who is sick or mentally ill or codependent or addicted or, you know, it starts to get better, it throws the whole family dynamics off and it, or it throws the dynamics of the couple um, off. And the other one is sort of struggling to find that this is not normal. This isn't usual. You know, this isn't the comfortable dysfunction that I'm used to. So now how do we, you know, come together? Do I even like this new version of the person? Right. And working in addictions, I've seen that amongst couples. You know, I have had a wife come to me and say, you know, you got to fix him. He's a mess. He's drinking. And uh, then when he starts getting better, it's interesting because oftentimes there's sabotaging that goes on. This, you know, the partner that was begging the therapist to help her alcoholic husband is now actively trying to sabotage the husband's sobriety. And you think, well, what's going, why would that happen? Why would this person come to me and say, you got to fix him. And then when he starts getting fixed, why, why would that person then sabotage? Well, maybe because there's something compelling about that relationship. I think for the non-addicted person, it is, I am keeping this person alive. That is an, an incredible ego boost. I mean, how valued must, must I feel if I am literally keeping this other person alive? I feel really important. I am this person's lifeblood, like literally. This person, I, the only reason this person is alive is because of me. Right. And, and when I, you don't have that anymore, it's a problem. Right. Because then I have to think about, then, then I have to address my issues. Because if we can think of addiction as the, the drug of choice is somehow allowing me to avoid thinking about my issues, then the, then the partner of the addict, once that addict gets sober, the partner's drug is now, they, the partner can't use, any, use anymore. And so the partner has to, is forced to look at their issues. And they don't want to do that because it's painful. It's painful yeah. to do that. They want to keep using. So that's why you see, you know, uh, you know dysfunction in, you know, in relationships where there's substance abuse. Mm-hmm. But it is important uh, for specifically the codependent uh, uh, person, once you've identified that you have some codependent tendency, tendencies, and we don't have to say you have it, you, you are afflicted with this. We could say you're living with some of the codependent tendencies and 
you know, let's look at how do you empower yourself? How do you start to find some value for yourself? How do you start to make some decisions uh, for you um, and pull back your personal power? This uh, um, is, is a really easy thing to do, but we make it so freaking complex. So this is what I'm encouraging, you know, with, with my clients and with, and with listeners too, if you have identified some of the characteristics we've been talking about um, uh, today uh, to start going inward and, and really uh, do some, some deep soul searching and, and figure out what is it uh, that I really want. And if you don't know that, then there, there's a serious uh, problem. If you don't know the direction that you're headed, if you, um, pull back and look at your, your life and your relationships and, uh, from, you know, from a, a zooming out, uh, bigger picture. Um, uh, sorry if I said zoom and that triggered anybody <laughs> from a bigger picture and, and look at all the different pieces and parts of it, you know, and, uh, what, what would you like to change? Are, are things working? And, uh, and honor that. Are are you comfortable being in this relationship? Is this working for you? Is b- being codependent and freely giving away your energy and your power, um, is that working uh, for you? Is, is ultimately is that what's going to continue enable to enabling you to have a, a, the life that you want to have to reach all those goals and aspirations that you have for yourself? And what are those goals and aspirations, you know? No. Yeah. Um, so maybe we could talk a, a little bit about um, kind of, you know, what people can do if they feel that they are in codependent relationships, because that's important. Um, and I think you started to talk about that. You know, they have um, Codependence Anonymous out there. And it's interesting because all the anonymous programs are of the 12 step nature, which you normally associate with addiction. And so, you know, you you can consider codependency as an addiction. And so I think that that's a really good resource for people because you can meet other people that struggle with this. You can get a sponsor. So when you're uh, feeling triggered, and feeling like you want to uh, co-depend, you can make a phone call. You can say, I'm, I'm having trouble here and talk to somebody else that understands. So I think um, yeah. you know, folks, that is something to consider. Well, whether you believe in the, the 12 steps uh, or not, or the, um, uh, the self-help groups, uh, they work. I mean, not that they're necessarily going to work for everybody, but there, there's enough of them and such a broad reach that, that they're doing something right with these meetings. And uh, CODA or, or Codependent Anonymous, um, there's, uh, of course, a website and you can go on there and find meetings in your area. And uh, it's a, a get together, a joining of uh, people who have, uh, you know, similar uh, issues and by working with somebody else, um, you, you find some solace in that and you help each other out. It's sort of like uh, um, a strengths and challenges, uh, a team building exercise, you know, 
I come with my own strengths and challenges and you come with yours and where you have a, a challenge, I might have a strength and vice versa. And you, and you help each other out by that uh, community, um, that, that bonding, it can be very helpful. That's a great place to start is uh, going to those meetings. And uh, they, I'm sure that they have just like AA has online um, uh, meetings or some form of that. I'm sure there's a, a way to connect through social media or, you know, um, some online chat or something if you just kind of want to uh, dip your toes in the water. And finding what other people um, who have codependency, uh, what they have done, how they have um, improved their lives, some of the steps that they took. Maybe it was a, uh, a book that they read or a work, workbook that they did that um, gave them the insight that they needed to start making some positive changes in their life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it makes total sense. The, the 12 steps make a lot of sense. You know, uh, you want to talk to somebody that has done what you're trying to do, who has gotten healthier. Uh, so I think it makes sense to, um, talk to those people. Uh, I believe that uh, there's a 12-step meeting for sex and love addiction also, mm -hmm. which I think kind of goes hand in hand with codependency. And that would be a meeting to uh, seek out also and test out. And I think you're right. I think pretty much all the 12-step uh, meetings are now online-based with what's going on with coronavirus. But, uh, and since what I wanted to say was that I, I think what the 12 steps does is it helps people be more mindful about their behaviors yeah. and what motivate, what is motivating them. And to, you know, we had talked about this before, to be more of an audience to your thoughts and your behaviors. And that is insight building. It builds insight. It, it gets you to gain a greater understanding of yourself and why you do what you do instead of letting it remain a mystery. I talk to a lot of patients and I say, you know, well, why do you do that? And they, they say, I don't know. It's, it's just how I am. And I say, we, we got to dig down a little further into yeah. that because just kind of dismissing it as, Oh, it's just how I am. I just born that way. Uh, you know, I just do that because it's just what I do. It's, that's not digging down. Yeah. If, if you're in counseling, therapy, psychotherapy, um, the, the point, I think, is to dig down a little bit and understand and gain a greater understanding of yourself mm -hmm. so you can grow and develop and be happier and healthier. Yeah. Hey, that's 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 the whole point that's why you're paying me i think i think that's what you're paying me for yeah unless you just kind of want somebody to talk to which you don't have to pay somebody to do that you could just find a friend maybe i you know i don't know or a pen yeah. pal or something but um so i think engaging in mindfulness mindfulness exercises is is super important i mean it's it's good for mindfulness is good for everything of course but mm -hmm. instead of just kind of going on the you know, codependent autopilot. I think if you can inject some mindfulness into your relationship, if you, if you and your partner can do some mindfulness exercises together, that can be a real game changer. Like if, mm -hmm. if two people 
could meditate together. That, that's almost kind of the antidote in a way to codependent behaviors because it's something you're doing for, for yourself to gain greater understanding of yourself, to reduce anxiety. I think anxiety, anxiety plays a big part in codependency. So if you can reduce your anxiety and gain a greater understanding into yourself and do something that is just for you, which is the meditation, breathing, and relaxation techniques and so on, then I think the rest can kind of take care of itself almost. I think you might notice that those codependent tendencies begin to kind of reduce and peter out a little bit if you, you know, so I think mindfulness techniques are fantastic for that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I think mindfulness works for so many different things anyway. <laughs> yes, really uh, another uh, thing I want to bring up um, that is helpful for somebody who's identifying with having some codependency uh, issues is learn how to say no. Uh, learn because the, the codependent person feels like it, you, so in, empowered because they're helping and when they're helping they feel stronger which even though ironically they're just depleting themselves but they feel like if I say no if I assert myself then somebody is going to be unhappy somebody's going to be disappointed uh, with me and they're going to get disenfranchised with me so Therefore, I, I, as long as I can continue, as long as I don't fall over on my face, I'll continue working. Um, and there's this guilt uh, and, and that comes with um, the, the person who has some codependency uh, uh, issues with not only saying no, but asserting their own like thoughts or opinions or desires. And so it's important for you to not feel guilty and to feel okay with saying, this is where I'm at. I am, this is how I'm feeling. And I do not feel comfortable doing that, or I need to put a firm boundary in place and I, I I'm going to say no. And it's not that I'm, um, uh, being uh, demeaning or belittling to you or that I'm not respecting you. I'm just, I'm respecting myself and I'm valuing myself and it's important for uh, yeah. my own, you know, uh, health and wellness to say no in that area, to assert myself too. It's you so know. hard. To, it's so hard to say no. And it's, it's a little tiny word. Yeah. And yet it's so hard to say no. And you know, the 12 steps has a lot of phrases and phraseology and mottos and sayings, and they're really great. I, I, and one of the uh, really good ones in the 12 steps is about the word no. And it's mm. no is a complete sentence. I love that. I love that so much. No period is a uh, sentence. You don't yeah. you don't think it's a sentence, but it is. And to me, that just means you can say no and not have to justify why you're saying no. Yeah, I'm not comfortable. That's why. Yeah, you know. Oh, and I I have struggled with this too because mm -hmm. if I can assert myself and say no. It's never that it's never the sentence for me. Like, no, like even saying it now, like, no, like I, I feel like I need to add to it. 
So when I have asserted myself and uh, turned down uh, an offer for something or, or, or somebody asked for help and I, you know, had to, uh, um, I didn't, I didn't have the ability or the time or, you know, uh, or the resources to accomplish that and to say, no, I've always felt because, you know, well, you know, I, we're not a particularly boundary conscious society, American, American society, not particularly boundary conscious. And, um, you know, I think if, if you look at some other, other cultures, they're much more direct. Americans are not direct. Uh, you know, if you look at like European culture uh, or, you know, lots of other cultures, um, Israeli culture, for example, they're very direct. Um, and maybe in a way that's healthier, but Americans might consider Israelis very rude <laughs> and very direct and very assertive and very aggressive. But guess what? They're clearer. They're also way clearer. You know where they stand. I think with Americans, we're not sure where we stand with political correctness, which I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not a fan of, but I'm also not against either. But I think we live in a very, uh, I don't want to offend you society. Right. It's very nice. I mean, it's nice not to want to offend somebody else, but at some point um, that can become a little too much. Uh, you know, well, what if we do, what if I do offend you? What if I do? Is that the end of the world? Um, but for whatever reason, we've evolved this way. And I don't think it's very healthy. And I think it plays out in our relationships with others. And it's hard um, for specifically with codependence um, to uh, not offend other people and the reason being is because uh, by helping uh, other people or by uh, sacrificing your own whatever for the other person to get people to like you uh, validates and continually validates who you are as a person and that you are needed and you are, you know, um, uh, uh, valuable and, you know, um, that you're serving a purpose to offend somebody is like, you know, there's something uh, wrong with you or you hurt me. And it's, that's the opposite effect of what somebody with codependency is trying to do. So it's, it's definitely uh, um, uh, something that they would shy away from. Right. Right. Um, that's why I like that, that phrase so much. No is a complete sentence. You know, there's another one. And it, I might butcher it, but it, it goes something like, if you never say no, your yeses mean nothing. <laughs> yeah. Which I like. I like that one too. And to me, I define that as saying, if you always say yes, nobody's going to appreciate it. It won't be appreciated when you say yes, because you always say it. Well, it might become an expectation. Yeah. Makes it even tougher if you're always saying yes for you to assert yourself and say no, because then if people are just expecting that you're going to, you're going to do it, you're going to say yes, you're going to handle it. And then you're like, no, it's like, whoa, 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 
what's happening yeah so um but you know what i i know we can continue this and i think another topic is starting to uh develop i'd like to speak with you more about this um but i really appreciate you being here as always uh, i like where this podcast is going and i like the continued uh, conversation and uh so, and thank you all for listening and for being here. And thank you for the support. Uh, we really appreciate this and we want to keep this uh, thing going. So, Michael, thanks again. You're welcome. I'll see you soon. Yeah, so I, we're primed and I think we're ready for, uh, for next week. Great. All right, Riley. You guys take care. See you again.